I had done so well sticking to our podcast schedule for this season until this episode. It should have gone up last week and here we are. But before I move on from talking about podcast episodes coming out on time, I just want to say I can take no credit for this. Josh Cottle, a friend of mine here in Norman, is starting doing all the podcast editing for me. Bless him. He now knows more about the hot tub industry than he probably ever wanted to. He's the only reason why we are finally sticking to our schedule. So thank you, Josh. Oh, and just to be clear, I am still the reason why this one is late. It's not his fault. This is our last episode before we take our summer break. I'll be working on episodes for next season over the summer, but we won't be releasing any new ones until the fall. And in this episode, I had the pleasure of talking to Alicia and Andrea from Biolab slash Spogard. We went to the source to talk about the current state of the chemical industry. What does it actually mean when people say there's a chlorine shortage right now? Why is there a shortage? And why are half the caps in your order suddenly orange instead of white? It was a lot of fun. I hope you enjoy. Have a great summer. And think of me when you listen to this on Wednesday because my five-year-old youth will be graduating from kindergarten. I'm not okay with this. This is the Spa Retailer Podcast, where we talk retail, business, and all things related to the hot tub industry. I'm your host, Megan Kendrick, owner of Spa Retailer Magazine. Today on the Spa Retailer Podcast, I have Alicia Stevens. She is the Education and Training Manager. Is that right, Alicia? That's correct. All right. At Biolab. And then also we have Andrea Cheney. She is the brand manager for SpaGuard, along with a lot of their other pro dealer products. Hi, guys. Hi, Andrea. Hey, Megan. How are you? I'm doing good. I wanted to have them on today because as most of you, I'm sure, have heard, you know, thanks to the, the news, there is a, you know, chlorine shortage. Being in the industry, you probably have already heard that. But it's not something that we talk about as much on the hot tub side of the industry. So I wanted to have them on to talk about what's going on and how it does impact the spa side of the industry and spa chemicals. And again, most of you are probably already a little bit familiar with this as you've been trying to to place orders. So thanks for coming on to talk about this this fun topic. Are you are you tired of talking about about this yet? Well, it's certainly blown up over the course of the weekend. So (laughs) this weekend, there was the CNBC news piece that I feel like kind of blew up and everyone now is talking about it. So (laughs) I want to say that I I contacted you well before that came out. You you did. You absolutely did. We had this set up in advance. So (laughs) before we get into the topic at hand, like we do with all of our guests, I'd love to know more about each of your personal backgrounds and where you where you come from and how you got into the pool and spa industry. Alicia, do you want to start? Where where sure. did you grow up? You are in the Atlanta area now, correct? Correct. I've been in Atlanta for a little over 20 years, but I actually grew up in Illinois. I'm a, a small town farm kid, has seven brothers and sisters, and literally grew up in the middle of nowhere. So uh, 
I made my way to Georgia on a, a grad school invitation and uh, landed in the big city and never left. But so I grew up in Illinois, went to, did undergrad in Illinois, ended up at Georgia Tech for some grad school and stepped out of there into Biolab. And I've been there 21 years. So it's been an interesting, interesting ride. So I actually uh, started as a temp worker answering the phones in customer care and moved my way up from there. So never thought I'd be doing this, but here I am 21 years later. So goes the story of everybody in the in the industry. What did you study in school? Were you were you in the sciences, education? What, what did you think you were going to do with your life before you ended up at Biolab? You know, I was a biology major in undergrad with the the thought that I was going to medical school, as a lot of people do. My mom's still disappointed. She's not going to ever get over that. But I decided kind of, uh, I don't know, more than halfway through that degree that medical school is probably not really what I wanted to do with my life. So I finished that degree, took a little detour through grad school that I found out I didn't care that much for. And I never said when I grow up, I want to be in the pool industry. I took the, the temp job as a way to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And uh, my biology major certainly helped helped me out with that. But then once I settled in and uh, spent a little while at Biolab, I found I really enjoyed swimming pool chemistry. So I stuck with it. Here I am. I can't believe that you've been there for 20 years. And I feel like you and I have only met recently. That kind of blows my mind. I feel like we would have crossed paths before now. And maybe we have, and we just uh, didn't realize it. I don't know. But I, I will possible. say, I've, I've been stepping out into the industry more in, in the last couple of years. So stepping out more beyond the walls of Biolab. So maybe it's just exposure that brought us together. But I'm, I'm definitely happy to be here. <laughs> how about you, Andrea? Where Have you been in Georgia for a long time? And how did you end up at Biolab? Yes, ma'am. I am a Georgia peach. I was born and raised in Atlanta. I love Atlanta. It has certainly changed over the years, for sure. I grew up in metro Atlanta, and I still live in that area as of today. I majored in public relations, and I minored in marketing. I graduated from Georgia State University. I did a little stint down at Valdosta State University, but needed to um, come home. I missed the big city and get my stuff together. And so, yeah, I've got a, a daughter and husband who is actually from Illinois as well. And I've got a, a black lab who I love to death. So and I love my daughter and my husband, too. <laughs> in, that, in that order. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. And, you know, and I went to grad school in Chicago. So we just we all have that Illinois tertiary connection. Go Cubs. Yes. That's all I can say. I can't resist. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Every podcast that I do now, I kind of start with people's pandemic story because, you know, the last year has been such a, a change and such a switch for all of us. Before we started recording, you guys were telling me about having, you know, A days and B days of people who are able to come into the building and, and work at Biolab. And so what has this pandemic looked like for you guys in terms of, of working? What's What's changed as far as working from home or working, I, I, I want to say at the plant, but are you guys at a plant? No, we, we have a corporate office that's, okay, that's uh, what totally I was removed say. from the manufacturing environment. Right. So. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> at the office, there we go. <laughs> so what is it, what does it look like for you guys? Were you, did you have to shut down? I, I'm just, you know, I'm curious what things were like for you in Atlanta. I remember it was March 16th and it was a Monday, I believe. And we had lunch in there and they, it was the lunch hour and they, 
they said, okay, you've got to go home. And we were like, what? What do you mean we have to go home? And we did not start back to work until late May, almost Memorial Day week. I think Alicia was on the Schedule A. That was hard because Alicia and I sit next to each other. So I'm on the B schedule. So we have been going back and forth since May of last year. And for me personally, it was really difficult. I'm an extrovert, so I am a people person. I have to see everyone and talk. And I think that was the the biggest challenge for me personally, but I was able to adapt eventually. <laughs> so I was glad when we were able to come back into the office on a biweekly basis, at least. Were you guys working from home during that time or did they have a lot of people furloughed while we kind of waited to see what was going to going to happen with all of this? Now, thankfully, we were all working from home. We were all, you know, really well off in that um, perspective of things. So a lot of Zoom meetings and that kind of conversation was going on through work. We, but, we were yeah. really lucky that furloughs never happened for us. Um, yes. And I give the company a lot of credit for that. They they worked really hard Absolutely. to to make sure that we were all able to function from home. Our IT department had their hands full, that's for sure. But we we were able to to do it. We're still doing it. Andrea and I did get to see each other earlier today, so that's nice. But we are on opposite schedules and that's hard because we work together a lot and we're just but since we sit close to each other, we had to be split up. So that's going still continuing for us. Um, I think it's gonna continue probably through the summer from what I'm hearing that we're going to continue to to do that. But Working from home, learning to work from home was interesting. I've always said that I don't work from home very well. I don't focus. And I had to, like, I had to learn how to do that. And and I had to set up an office and I had to, you know, figure out how to put everything else away and just concentrate. And, and honestly, it's been really good for me. I've learned, I think I focus better now at home than I do in the office. And it was just uh, a matter of teaching myself to work differently. And that'll stick with me even when we are back in the office full time. It's just, it's a different, different way to get things done. Yeah, that's interesting. And we've, we've had a remote office since, I mean, I don't know, 2009, I think. So we've worked, I've worked from home for most of my adult working life. And so for our team, this is just kind of status quo. Like we live all over the country. This is just how we, how we operate. But even for us, it was a big switch because suddenly, you know, we had spouses home and children home and that kind of disruption. And so even for people, I think, who are used to working from home, it was, it was not the, it was not the same. I I will say I was able to travel for the first time last week. And, and when I told my wife I was leaving, she wanted to know if she could help me pack my bag. So, (laughs) 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 so yeah, having spouses at home was, was definitely different. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you love each other, but there gets to be a point where you're like, I having a little space during the day was um, an important part of our relationship. Apparently. (laughs) I understand completely. (laughs) Well, I always had the issue with the uh, black lab wanting to play because I'm at home and she can't understand why we can't throw the ball all day. So working from home, I was thankful my husband, he continued to work outside the home. So he was considered an essential business. So that gave us some time, (laughs) some space for sure. Yeah, same, same here. Fortunately for us, my office is very small and we share it. There's not room for both of us at once. But yeah, I have the I have the issue where my kids are are one in five. And so yeah, they there's no understanding of work time versus family time. And yeah, it's it's not it was not great. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sure I give a lot of credit to, you know, moms and dads who have younger ones. I was thankful that 
my daughter was 12, so she was self-sufficient and, you know, could do things on her own, whereas I know it was pretty challenging for parents like yourself. Yeah, but I feel like even for people who have kids who are who are older, I think that the challenges when they're that age are a lot more complicated in some ways. You know, there's like the pandemic impacts them in a lot of the ways that I think it impacts mm-hmm. us, where there's a lot of emotion and there's a lot of disappointment and yeah. there's a lot more of that. Whereas when they're one in five, I, they don't really know or care. They're just living life. <laughs> but Mommy's once you get home, right? <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. So yeah, I think, you know, I feel like, I feel like we say that, but I think the challenges for parents of older children in some ways are, are tougher because there's a, there's a lot more uh, depth of understanding to what's going on and a lot more anxiety and stuff that goes along with that when, when kids are older and missing their friends. Absolutely. And, yeah, it's it's it I was think just the friend thing was the most challenging for sure. Yeah. You guys are finally sort of back in the office now or have been since I mean, I guess let's say finally. It's you've been kind of back in the office for almost a year at this point, right? Back and forth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that before we dig into any shortages, I kind of want to just talk through just in the basics of what are the different kinds of types of chlorine that are used in the pool and hot tub industry and specifically on the hot tub side. Cause I think that there's been the blanket term saying that there's a chlorine shortage and that's not technically true, right? Technically um, to, to really be as accurate as possible, there's a trichlor shortage and that can impact the hot tub industry and the, the spawn industry for sure. But it's less likely to have an impact there. You know, we, there's really two or three popular types of sanitizers for, for hot tubs. Chlorine is one of them. But for the most part, chlorine that's going into hot tubs is dichlor based, um, which has not been impacted by the shortage. Bromine is very popular in, in hot tubs. But a lot of you have to just be aware a lot of bromine products do have a chlorine element to them. But again, it is dichlor based. So we're not relying on trichlor as a rule to sanitize spas and hot tubs. And then now salt spas are getting more and more popular. And that's, you know, that's creating the chlorine in the water and not relying on dichlor or trichlor or any other form of chlorine. So for the most part, as far as impact, trichlor would have the least amount of impact on the spa industry, as opposed to say, if our dichlor, there's a dichlor shortage or a bromine shortage or anything like that, I think that would have a much bigger impact on the industry. Yeah. I feel like it's maybe the one area where the, the hot tub industry dodged a little bit of a supply chain bullet for the first time in this entire pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> not to say there aren't shortages, but as far as chlorine goes, then the trichlor shortage is not not the hugest. Now, there are some places where you can use chlorine tabs and hot tubs. You don't see it often just because of dissolution in hot water and, and things like that. But I know there are some some dealers in some places that do use that, and that would be trichlor. So, you know, if someone has been used to using the small one-inch chlorine tabs in their hot tub for some reason, then they're going to st- probably be impacted a little bit more. But again, that's not the normal way to sanitize a hot tub, not the most popular way to sanitize a hot tub. Thank goodness for that in this case. So those are kind of the types of chlorine and what we see in in hot tubs and where the shortages actually are. But why is there a shortage? I think there's a little bit of a demand issue. And then there was also a natural disaster that didn't help the matter, right? Well, Mother Nature kicked us in the chin (laughs) is really what happened. (laughs) Hurricane Laura in August of 2020 severely damaged our Lake Charles, Louisiana 
facility. And that is where a lot of Tricor was produced. And that's where the shortage is stemming from. You know, we, we had a lot of damage. The incident basically totaled out our facility to the point where we're, you know, we are currently rebuilding. Let me be very clear about that. We're in the middle of the rebuilding process. And all of our non-Tricor product lines were completely unaffected by the hurricane, but our Tricor facility was deeply impacted. And that's, you know, with the pandemic and just the overall increased demand for the product, it was kind of the perfect storm of things that could happen to lead to, you know, where are we going to get Tricor from and what are we going to do? I imagine that had to have been just incredibly stressful. I mean, we're already in this really stressful time. And then one of your main product lines essentially just disappears overnight and goes offline by no fault of anyone's. I mean, it's just one of those things that you can't control and happened. And now you have to deal with the repercussions. I mean, has anyone been sleeping at Biolab the last, <laughs> the last nine months? That's a great months? question. Because um, <laughs> I mean, so many reasons, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what I that's what I was afraid of. I mean, you know, I have stress dreams about not like about things that don't actually happen. And so then when the disaster actually happens, I can't imagine. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely something that is top of mind every day, top of meeting every day. And there are a lot of resources working to provide customers with you know, Tricor any way that we can. So we definitely have our resources aimed towards serving customers and, you know, getting as much Tricor out there as we possibly can. So we're, we're overcoming obstacles one at a time. And we are all waiting for the day that that facility is completely back online and, you know, pumping out Tricor like we need it to. Yeah, I bet. I mean, obviously, one of the one of the good things is Biolab is, you know, a huge company that has a lot of resources and a lot of different manufacturing facilities. And so I think in the hot tub industry, when we have seen fires in the industry in the past, which we have a lot of times, it's it's devastating to their entire business because they have one one facility. And so <laughs> fortunately, you guys have are spread out across the globe, have lots of facilities, have lots of resources. And so this isn't like you're not shipping out any product for several years. I mean, you have you have other lines and other things that are going on as well. It's definitely been a scramble of resources to to do the very best that we can to keep our pipelines as full as possible. So every, every day is different. And people other than Andrea and I are out there working really hard trying to to make sure that we can get as much product as possible into the market. You talked about how for hot tubs, you know, most portable hot tubs are not using trichlor as their main sanitizer. But talking to hot tub retailers, they are having a hard time filling their shelves with hot tub chemicals. Where is that coming from? And why are they seeing it? Maybe it's not a, sh- a shortage. Maybe it's just a supply and demand and a, I mean, I don't know what what's what's going on with that. There are several factors to that, one being demand. So COVID allowed for people to focus on their backyards as a staycation vacation, and the demand for pool and spas spiked tremendously. So we've got a lot of new pool and spa owners in the marketplace that are demanding products. Supply is a another reason. The suppliers that supply us with caps and sprayers on bottles, they're suffering just like we are with supply issues. So we're using different caps to go out on bottles to make sure that the customer has the product that they need to keep their water clean and clear. We've got bottles with no sprayers on them going out. And then thirdly, labor. Like most businesses today, it's really hard to find labor in the marketplace. I mean, that is just across every industry, every area. I mean, 
it's it's rare to hear the opposite <laughs> for someone to say that they aren't having a hard time finding people versus that they are because that just seems to be a huge problem for all industries right now. Absolutely. I mean, you hear it on the media every single day, for sure. And, you know, it's interesting about, you know, the natural disaster was the cause of your fire. But then, you know, the natural disaster in Texas and the freeze is, I think, one of the main reasons why we're seeing such a shortage in plastics. We had Bob Comfer from Comfer Plastics on and talking in depth about that and what happened there and how it caused him to have to declare a force majeure for his business. And so I imagine that that has got to be one of the reasons why you guys are struggling to find caps in the right color and sprayers at all. (laughs) We've taken to telling our dealers, please don't tell us the caps the wrong color. We know, but we'd rather you have the product. (laughs) Yes, exactly. It's customer first, dealers first and customers first. Yeah, I mean, when it comes down to it, it doesn't matter if the cap is blue versus white versus green or whatever. I mean, what matters is that you have uh, clean hot tubs. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> We'd much rather that than you uh, you have color coding on your shelves right now. Anyway, we'll, we'll yeah. go back yeah. to it and it'll be pretty again. But <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, and I think that I do feel like dealers are pretty understanding of that at this point. It, for a while there, I think that, I mean, none of us had at least the deep understanding of the supply chain that we do now. Do you find that dealers are for the most part understanding of the position that you're in as far as shortages and the supply and demand and the supply chain issues that is impacting the whole world? Or are you still getting a little bit of pushback? Like, why are my caps purple? <laughs> I think the world as a whole right now, not to generalize too much, is more understanding. And I think our dealers are definitely, I mean, once we explain things and we're learning to, you know, they they want us to tell them, they want us to give them a heads up, they don't want to get blindsided by blue caps instead of white or whatever it is. But I think that, yeah, I would definitely say they're more understanding. They are, you know, they're, they're facing labor issues of their own and supply issues all over the place. And I think that everybody is just trying to survive right now and trying to do the best they can for their customers. We're trying to do the best we can for our customers. And, you know, our suppliers are trying to do the best they can for us. It doesn't do you any good to get mad. It doesn't do you any good to get impatient because there's really nothing we can do. It's a weird world that we're living in. It's, you know, slowly trying to work, slowly riding the ship, I think. But who knew this is what would happen? But I think the world as a as a rule is giving a free pass to a lot of things right now. And, and it's, you know, it's just making people to be a little more patient, a little more kind. I would agree with that. Yeah, 100%. In some ways, that's easier said than done, I imagine. <laughs> and I think that I wonder too, you know, we all have these new stressors on us. And I think sometimes our reaction to something that's maybe small, like a different wrong color size cap has a lot more to do with the fact that, you know, my 12 year old was crying today because she couldn't go see her friends and it does with the actual cap. <laughs> I've taken to sometimes when I'm starting to react poorly to something trying to stop and asking someone around me, am I overreacting to this? Because it's definitely possible that my reaction has nothing to do with what just set me off. So you just got to stop. And I've asked Andrea that many times, haven't I, Andrea? Am I overreacting to this? Sometimes she says yes. (laughs) That seems like a wise policy to use in a pandemic or otherwise. Otherwise, right. Does reaction seem normal to you? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I think too, when you take a step back and you look at, at things around you, we all have to be so thankful because we, you know, we've gotten through this and, you know, these are just little bumps in the road and we'll get through them too. 
it just, I think it, it can be frustrating because we're so used to having everything at our fingertips and everything perfect and right. And it's not. And so I think it's allowing people to just really understand how to take a step back and be thankful and just know what you have in front of you and face it day on with a yeah. positive attitude. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think it's probably difficult too, because, you know, you're dealing with small business owners and entrepreneurs and, you know, it's really hard, I think, for them to not see just all the lost opportunities, right? That, you know, all the hot Absolutely. tubs they could have sold, all the chemicals that they could have sold. But yeah, I think most people that I talk to who seem to be weathering this the best, it's because they have a positive attitude and they have an attitude of gratefulness mm-hmm. versus, you know, looking at the negative and what could have been and and just grateful for the fact that they're having an amazing year and they're still in Great. business. Absolutely. Before we talk about how retailers can kind of help curb some of these shortages, can you just explain the difference between chlorine and bromine and why someone may want to use one versus the other in a hot tub? And Andrea, if you'd like, I'm, I'm giving you a free opportunity to to plug uh, all your spa guard products too. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me count the ways. <laughs> Let let me start with saying that I've been asked the question, should I use chlorine or bromine in my spa about 8,000 times? And my answer is always the same. You can use whatever you want in your spa as long as you use it correctly. And that's really where I always start with that conversation. So there are several differences, honestly. Chlorine is a more well-known sanitizer just from, you know, pop culture or, you know, just everyday living, you're familiar with chlorine, you're familiar with cleaning with chlorine, you're familiar with the fact that chlorine kills germs and bacteria and all that stuff. So it kind of has a leg up as far as just being more familiar, especially to a new hot tub owner. They they understand, you know, chlorine and what it does. Chlorine can be stabilized. So for an outdoor spa, if you're getting a lot of sun sunshine on the water, chlorine, uh, I would definitely put chlorine forward first and say that, you know, you can protect this from the sun a little bit easier. Bromine cannot be stabilized. So, you know, you're going to fight a little bit of a battle against the sun outdoors. Bromine tends to be a little more active over a wider pH range. So with spas and the chemistry of a spa, your pH is constantly going up. We all know that you battle it all the time. And as pH goes up, chlorine loses some of its effectiveness as the pH gets higher Whereas bromine stays pretty steady in how much of it is active and ready to kill. So definitely a bit of a difference there. And bromine tends to, it's a heavier molecule. It's heavier in the water. It's, it gives you less odor overall. So, you know, you get, people say, I use bromine because it doesn't hurt my eyes. I use bromine because you can't smell it. And that's just due to, to weight. It's about two and a half times heavier than chlorine. So it stays heavier in the water and you get less gassing off and less smell from it. But ultimately, they're both very effective sanitizers. And and most bromine that you put into a spa has chlorine blended into it as kind of an activator step. So you're not really avoiding chlorine by using bromine. It's just a different approach. So it's just definitely, you know, personal preference. There are arguments for either one. They're both very effective as sanitizers. So, which you know, I, I always say sanitizers all do one thing. They kill bacteria really well. So when you're choosing or managing a sanitizer, you're managing all the secondary effects. And that's what you, you focus in on to see, you know, which one is which. So with the Spogard chemicals, we offer a chlorinating concentrate that's dichlor based. Um, we offer our, you know, our brominating concentrate, which is a combination of, of bromine and chlorine together. So it's activated as soon as you put it in the water. So we offer, we offer brominating tablets. So we offer 
all of the versions and it's really just based on personal preference. And I feel like it kind of comes down to the to the dealer. What do they feel most comfortable with? What's easiest for them to troubleshoot? What do they know the most about and and how can they best serve their their customers? I, I agree. And every dealer, I tell dealers all the time, you know, you have to sell what fits your story, whatever that is for your dealership. And if bromine fits your story, then sell that. If chlorine fits your story better, then sell that. It, they're both fine. It's just, you know, whatever you're selling, make sure that everyone's on the same page so you're not giving any conflicting information. But other than that, you know, it's whatever you choose to sell. I'm going a little bit off script. Have you guys found that during the, the COVID time and the pandemic where there has been such a huge focus on sanitization in general, have you found that consumers, because I know, you know, in the past people are like, well, I don't want to use, you know, quote unquote chemicals in my hot tub. I don't want, you know, harsh chemicals or chlorine or, or bromine. I want to have, you know, green. That was kind of the, that was kind of the trend that people were, were going toward. But do you find that there's less pushback now from the consumer I don't think you see that so much in the industry, but are you finding less pushback from the consumer? Because suddenly uh, we've all learned the importance of sanitization <laughs> and what that actually means. And yes, you have to wash your hands for X amount of minutes to actually achieve cleanliness. Do you think that there's been a little bit of a switch back because of all of this? That, that's okay to go off script on. <laughs> I think that all consumers are more engaged in the thought of sanitizing. So mm -hmm. saying that, I know that I am, you know, saying, saying that, I think the conversation around why it's important to sanitize your, your hot tub and why it's important to always have a sanitizer residual is easier for them to understand. I'm not sure that we ever got really a ton of pushback. There definitely is a trend um, still to this day, I think, to go, you know, to the the lower chlorine and the, you know, the the low chemical residuals, et cetera. And I think, yes, we see people maybe shifting away from that a little bit. And, you know, I've I've always said there's there's a lot of things out there that say you can hold 0.5 parts per million of chlorine and, and be good in a spot, which is true. You absolutely can. And they're right. But 0.5 parts per million of chlorine goes away very quickly when you get in a spa and then you're at zero and you're not sanitizing. So I think we have more kind of engagement to the thought of I really do always have to have a sanitizer in the water and I'll be a little more diligent about testing and I'll be a little more diligent about adding it and making sure that residual stays the same. Do you think that it can go the opposite way too, where now, I mean, we just drench ourselves in hand sanitizer. <laughs> I you'd see people doing that in their in their pools and spas where they're just like, more has got to be got to be better. I just have to kill all the germs. <laughs> I, I definitely think some people have that tendency anyway. This is, this is so true. I have, I have been to those pools. <laughs> we worked closely with the CDC as an industry, I think, and the information that the industry as a whole put out and got into and really, you know, had really good talking points and really good safety points and, and all that stuff working with the CDC. I think has kind of maybe calmed some of that fear down. It was very clear that, it, you know, this isn't expected to be transmitted in water. And, you know, as long as you're doing what you do and you keep your sanitizer where it's supposed to be, you don't really have any worries. And I haven't seen a lot of kind of over exuberance on sanitizing, although I do. I go through a lot of hand sanitizer, I have to say. 
I could definitely see the tendency, but I will applaud the industry as a whole for the work that they did with the CDC and the work that they did with governments and all that sort of stuff to a make sure that pools and spots were deemed essential and, you know, for making sure that we had all the right safety information out there so that we could do this safely and we could keep things up and running and provide that enjoyment that we're all striving to give to our customers. I think one of the hopes and maybe one of the good things that can come out of all of this is just that, like you said, a better understanding and more education about how to properly care for your water, why you need a sanitizer, why you need a residual, all of those things that, you know, it seems like in the industry and then obviously trickling down to to customers, it seems like there's a lot more focus on that right now, uh, partly because of the pandemic and partly because of the trichlor shortage where everyone is like, let's dial this in and understand, you know, how to properly care for these products. And so I think that is a really exciting thing to potentially, you know, come from all of this other craziness. I think with everything, education is key. You know, you have to take time to understand what's going on, what it means versus hearing something in the media and then complete panic and not understanding the real, you know, issue and what is going on and what are your options and the alternatives. As a company, we've spent the last year creating a lot of what I call reusable education. You know, we Mm -hmm. have modules and webinars and recordings and all sorts of stuff that, you know, our goal is to put education at everyone's fingertips, regardless of where they are, what time of day it is. And we always want them to have what they need to talk to customers or or reassure a customer that the water is safe. So we've done a lot of work on digital education because we're all stuck at home and that's what we had to do. But we're finding a lot of value in the fact that it's a little more permanent and you can, you know, you, you have more access to it. On the pool side, there's a lot of discussion about alternative sanitizers and, you know, switching pools over to salt so that they don't need trichlor. On the hot tub side, it's different. One, because like you said, not a lot of hot tubs use trichlor for sanitization, but also... In some ways, hot tubs are kind of ahead of pools in this area where a lot of hot tubs have built in alternative sanitizers. You know, they have, like you said, salt water systems are becoming popular in hot tubs now. There are AOP and ozone. I mean, I'm not sure there's very many hot tubs sold on the market today. They don't have ozone installed at the bare minimum. So there are a lot of these things already built into spas to help reduce their need for chlorine or bromine. But what are some other ways that retailers can make sure that their customers have the best experience with their hot tub and aren't impacted at all by shortages or by, you know, anything that they might need to get that hot tub clean? I think the key really is preventative maintenance is is really what I would call it. Focus on the non-negotiable parts of water care. Non-negotiable parts of water care are always having a sanitizer in the water. Ozonators are great. UV is great. You know, AOP, ionizers, all these things are great, but they all are paired with the sanitizer. So make sure that you've always got that residual because once it drops low or zero, then that's when problems start. And then you have a harder time trying to reestablish a residual. So if you want your your sanitizer to be as efficient as possible, if you want to use the least amount of it as possible, holding the residual where it's supposed to be, not letting the hot tub get behind as far as that goes, then that is key. And that's proper maintenance. That's you know, doing all the things that you're supposed to do when you're supposed to do them. But along with that, there's plenty of programs out there that just overall, they make the spa feel better. They make the spa look better and make it a little bit easier to handle. You know, there are lots of different programs. We have our TRIO program that's whole purpose is to make it as easy as possible 
to do the things you're supposed to do in a spa. And the focus is really, if you do the right things, you don't end up with low residuals. You don't end up with cloudy spa. You don't end up with bacteria problem or, or anything along those lines because you're doing maintenance the way you're supposed to. So I think the, the key is do the non-negotiables and then do the, the parts that can just make it easier to make sure that the spa stays clean and clear. Yeah, that's the thing is the education, like we said earlier, and getting people to stay on top of caring for their tubs. And it's kind of neat in the hot tub industry where you're starting to see a lot more of the valet services from retailers where they're coming out and actually doing that for their customers, much like you see on the swimming pool side. And that's that's great. I think that's another way that you can ease a customer's mind that their water is safe and clear and they're not the ones that had to deal with it. I think that's that's a great trend that we've been seeing in the hot tub industry for several years, but I think it's only going to continue to grow. Yeah, I agree completely. I agree. It's um, out of sight, out of mind. And if, if you have somebody else doing it, then you know it's definitely easier to keep it where it's supposed to be. When it comes to when it comes to shortages or customers coming in and saying, you know, I well, I heard on the news that there's no chlorine. What should I do? <laughs> I mean, how should retailers handle that in their stores? It sounds like you guys already have a lot of great resources to help them out with that. Yeah, I think, again, education is key and just making sure our dealers and all the dealers out there in the marketplace really understand what is going on and are able to make sure that customer leaves with more knowledge than when they walked into the store. We'll put that customer at ease and just understand asking the questions, asking the right questions to make sure that their needs are fulfilled. When they leave there, they feel good about the situation and really don't cause panic. Kind of, you know, I think that's what media does well and really kind of take that customer down and just say, hey, listen, we've got this. We we can help you and take care of your ba and really get it where it needs to be. And really, you know, this is a great time to get really good relationships with customers. There are going to be a lot of new customers coming into dealer stores and really looking for knowledge. And so this is a great time for our dealer experts to make sure that these new customers know that they are the expert and they are the person to come see when they do have problems in the future. This boom in hot tub sales is is really exciting. And I think it, like you said, it opens a lot of doors for the future as far as caring for customers and getting those referrals. And obviously everyone wants to make sure that they have a great experience with their hot tub. You know, if they're a first time buyer or this is their third spa, this is such a great opportunity to just exceed expectations and make sure that everyone has a good experience and understands how these hot tubs work and how to take care of them. I would ask that every person that's, you know, listening to this podcast, every dealer out there, I mean, everybody has a story. They have their plan A, they have their preferred program of spa care. And I respect that. And that's wonderful. But I would ask that everybody take a few minutes, take some time to think through, if I can't get this product, you know, what else can I do? What can I put together to offer to my customers so that the new customer that comes in doesn't leave with a bad feeling or doesn't feel like we Mm -hmm. can take care of the hot tub? Because, you know, while the chlorine shortage itself may not impact the hot tub industry as much as it does pools, 
there's still a plastic shortage. There's still, you know, all sort. there's still no, no caps sometimes or sprays. There's all sorts of things that we haven't even seen yet that are still coming from, you know, the, the COVID shortages that are there. So plan A is great and wonderful and it should always be your first stop, but have a plan B and a plan C and and maybe even a plan D, depending on how things go, so that you always do have something ready to go for that customer that comes in the door. If you don't know what that should be, you know, talk to your vendors, talk to your suppliers mm-hmm. and say, help me out here. What are my other options? There are always other options. And I know that we are happy to help people figure out what the best is for them. But I know that any supplier out there would be willing to to help a dealer figure out, you know, well, I can't get this. What else can I do? Or or how can I maximize my chlorine that I do have so it lasts as long as possible? Just have more than one plan in mind. Be flexible. Be willing to change and and kind of take it as it comes. There's always going to be a way to keep hot tubs clean. There's there's always going to be a way. And if you need help finding it, then you know there's certainly people out there that can help you figure out what works and and what you can get at any given time. I feel like that's such great advice, and it's something that we've all learned in this last year. Right? Is that you need to have those other those other channels kind of ready to go, whether it's for, um, whether it's a different hot tub manufacturer or whether you decide that you need to have a couple extra chemical lines as as backup. You know, we we talked about it in the last issue about, you know, is exclusivity gone? And for a little while, I think the answer might be yes, just because, you know, not everyone can satisfy the dealer demand right now and and for reasons that are out of everybody's control. And so, yeah, the most important thing is that your customers are happy. And so find a way to make that happen and keep those hot tubs clean. That kind of runs into my next question a little bit too. You know, you talk about finding other channels and finding other products. What do you do from a merchandising standpoint, thinking about the, how these stores are laid out? What do you do if you've got some big old empty holes where you normally have chemicals or you normally have tabs and now those are empty. I mean, how do you make your store look? I mean, it's the same thing with hot tubs. I mean, not having hot tubs on display, that's a pretty big hole to fill. But what do you do so that your store feels full and fresh and clean and inviting like it did in the past? Yeah, that's a great question. I think one of the biggest items to look at is utilizing the marketing pieces that manufacturers provide. So make sure that those are up and catch a consumer's eye when they walk in the door. So it kind of takes away from the empty shelf, maybe take advantage of co-op programs to showcase educational pieces and some of those shelving units. So that could be anything from brochures, handouts, stand-up pieces. And if shelving is five deep, move some up to the front. So kind of front shelf everything, all the products that are there. And then don't be afraid to create your own marketing pieces. I mean, this is the time to shine. This is the time to get in front of your customers and make sure that you are utilizing everything that you have to get the message out. And that doesn't have to just be inside. That can be outside. I see a lot of great ideas that people do and all types of retailers with the kind of old school sandwich boards and just really putting it right there on the sidewalk. So somebody has to trip over it to, you know, walk around, but really just kind of getting outside your box to make sure that customer knows that you're there to help them. Sometimes the simplest solution is just staring us right in front of your face. Like you you don't need to, you know, your manufacturer probably has a lot of things available for you and that they've already done. You just need to take advantage of them. (laughs) Yes. 
And I think they would all be, you know, we are always happy to help if a customer has a need. And I'm sure there are others out there as well that are happy to help if there's a certain need that needs to be addressed when it comes to marketing. So, you know, we've talked about the chemical side of the business and the challenges that it's facing from, you know, shortages in plastics and all of logistics and all of that stuff. But what are you guys hearing? You talk to a lot of retailers and a lot of dealers. What are you hearing from them as far as what are the challenges that they're facing right now? Is it supply chain? Is it labor? What are the things that you hear that they're struggling with still? I think the biggest challenge they're facing is COVID and everything that it brings. You know, I don't think you can limit it to supply chain. They're all struggling, you know, with that. Hot tub retailers, I hear again and again, I've sold my allotment for 21. I'm selling into 23 now. And, you know, that's that's no knock on the manufacturer for not being able to provide more. That's a, you know, that's a dealer dealing with a high level of demand. Some of them I hear they're worried about cash flow. You know, they sell everything in the front end of the year and then they're used to having hot tub sales in October and November and December and they may not have anything to sell. So that's the worry. But supply chain, whether it be chemicals or tubs or plastics or or equipment or any of that, I think is definitely the biggest issue coupled with labor. You know, I, I was out seeing some customers last week and across the board, they're working themselves to the bone because they just don't have any labor. And that's, you know, it's unsustainable mm-hmm. and it's it's hard to do. And it makes, you know, when I ask if I'm overreacting, it makes all the frustrations in the world, you know, that they're faced with right now seem even bigger because they're tired and they're doing their best to, mm-hmm. you know, take advantage of this wonderful opportunity and maximize the possibilities of that at the same time doing it, you know, with with one hand tied behind their back most of the time. So I have a lot of empathy for our dealers and and our, our industry as a whole right now, because it's while there's a lot of opportunity, it's hard, you know, it's really hard and people are working hard and they're trying hard and they're, they're doing things differently. And I applaud everyone in the industry and the job that they're doing to try and meet this demand and give everybody the experience that they're looking for. I would 100% agree with that too, Alicia. It's a great, great statement. At the beginning, you're sort of, I don't want to say energized, but you know, it's like sing or swim. We got to do this. So let's do it. Right. You know, you've got all of the, you're shut down, you're open, you got new, new mandates, new layouts, you know, all of these things. And then the industry just took off like a rocket. And so, you know, there was a lot of excitement and everyone I think is kind of running on adrenaline for a little while there. Yeah. But I think at some point we all sort of expected it to slow down and it hasn't. <laughs> and so, yeah, the, the pace that you started last May, you, you know, you're thinking that we're going to do this for a few months. And now here we are a year later, people are exhausted and trying to find ways to continue to make this make it work. And I hate things like new normal and all of that, but we it's a whole new way of operating your business and your life. And, and it's still going strong. I will say this. I have seen so much camaraderie and so much, I hate the word, but brotherhood within the industry as dealers that are trying to help each other. You know, I've got it. Come get it from me. I'll sell it to you, loan it to you, give it to you. You know, 
I have an extra crew person. Do you need help on your dig? That sort of stuff. I hear stories of all the time. And that's, you know, that's heartwarming to to see for sure as they try to make their way through this. And it is a new normal. I hate the term too, but we're never going to be the industry that we were in 2019. We're not going to go back to that. So I'm, I'm just glad to see people helping each other. I'm glad to see the camaraderie that's come of it. And, you know, it, it's not sustainable at this rate, but let's, let's hang on and, and do the best we all can to, to keep going. And, and ultimately the end goal is a happy customer and we all need to keep that in sight. My last question was going to be, when do you see the chemical industry going back to normal? But it doesn't sound like you see a normal coming back really ever again. Like it's just, it's just changed and it's not going to be the same. It's just different. I asked my magic eight ball. It says, that the answer is unclear so (laughs) (laughs) well thank you guys so much for doing this today and you know we we're gonna condense the spa retailer five do you still have time for like the spa retailer two sure we're always up (laughs) okay all right great (laughs) so alicia what was your first job your first real job my first real job was tending to landscaping on a golf course I was an outdoor kid and that's what I did. I, I drove around in a golf cart and I pulled weeds and I watered flowers and I planted flowers. And that was my first tax paying, as I call it, job that I ever had. <laughs> and that sounds kind of great, actually. Now that, I now that I'm it. <laughs> stuck in front of a computer all day long, there are days where it's like, yeah, it's running around on a golf cart pulling weeds sounds kind of amazing. <laughs> you know, I came yeah. up sunburned and dirty and it was okay. <laughs> Uh, how about for you, Andrea? What was your what was your first job? So my first job was at a Great Clips, and I was the receptionist at the front, and I absolutely loved it because, like I said earlier, I'm a people person, so I got yeah. to yeah, so I got to greet everyone when they came in. Um, I did have to sweep a little bit of hair, but that wasn't too much of a problem. Loved loved the job, loved the people I worked with. It was fun, and then I went into working on another hair salon. So surprisingly. I did not go into hair, but marketing instead. (laughs) I can totally see you as a receptionist, Andrea. I really can. (laughs) I know. I love it. That'll be my retirement job for sure. (laughs) That's so great. You're going to be the Walmart greeter, which is so you can say hi to everyone who walks in. I love it. Yes. Oh my gosh, I would do it. My daughter says that I talk to everyone. She's like, why do you have to talk to everybody? Like it's just being nice. It's being kind. I've got a parent. I've got a parent like that. I can, I can relate to to her. Yeah. What have you guys been doing to, I mean, in your spare time? Because as we've discussed, you're not busy or anything right now. <laughs> right. What have you What have you been reading or watching or listening to, you know, podcasts or books or TV shows, either to, you know, educate or entertain yourself as we've kind of gone through this crazy, crazy year? I have watched a lot of Netflix. I'll say that. I've watched a lot of Netflix. <laughs> but I'm a reader. I read all the time. I, I just devour books. And I've done a lot of that reading read some of my old favorites, read a bunch of new stuff. And I have, you know, kind of explored the world of the the Facebook live stream for some of my favorite music acts. So I've seen a lot of online concerts. 
I've spent a lot of money tipping online concerts because they're trying to make a living too, you know, and that's part of it. And I'm happy to do that. We're a, we're a music household. I mean, you can't go out and listen. You, you find other ways to do that. So I've done a lot of that. Or, you know, obviously our, our listeners can't, can't see you, but Alicia does have a piano behind her. So and, and two, three guitars on the wall. So yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely a theme here. <laughs> Any favorites stick out to you, Alicia? Any books you've read in the last year that you might pick up again or would suggest someone else picks up? Gosh, about a dozen. I reread my favorite book of all time and me, I've read thousands of books in my life. I've always been a reader, but you know how somebody asks you those questions. Like if you could only have one such and such, you know, if you ask me, if you could only read one book again for the rest of your life, what would it be? And it's called Density of Souls by Christopher Rice. It's actually Anne Rice's son and he he writes some strange books, but this one was just kind of a coming of age story set in New Orleans, actually. Megan, we were talking about New Orleans earlier. Excellent book. I bet I've read it a dozen times. I read it again this year. So I would highly recommend that to anyone that's a reader. That's great. I'll add that to my list to read to read this year. I haven't heard that one yet. It's well worth the read. How about you, Andrea? Have you uh, reading, watching, listening, sleeping? Yeah, yeah, I wish I could find some time to sleep. TV is probably the thing. Netflix, a lot of Netflix, which I'm pretty sure if there's like anybody in this world that said no, they didn't watch a lot of Netflix, they might, there might be something wrong with them. We just finished Schitt's Creek. I tell you, that is like one of my favorite TV series ever. I had no idea that I would love it as much as I did. Everyone kept talking about it. And I was so sad. I even cried. I'm pretty sure I shed a couple tears at the end. And my husband was like, what are you? Why are you crying? I'm like, it was so good. I loved I'm, it. The casting on that was phenomenal. That show is amazing. It is it is also one of my favorites. I watched it pre-pandemic, though. I watched it when I was at home with a newborn. So I oh, feel like gosh. I've been I've been in quarantine for a little extra couple of months. I started, you know, last October when the baby was born. So that's when I okay. plowed through Schitt's Creek. And it was it was amazing. It was a great thing to like keep me entertained at two in the morning. Yes. So yeah, it was, it was, yeah. it was awesome. Did it leave you with a TV yes. hangover? You know, that feeling when you finish it and you're like, Oh, yes. yes. I'm lost for a couple of days. Right. <laughs> yes. And you want to, their characters are so great that I try to mimic them at home or, you know, I'll say something <laughs> or, or use that head nod or, you know, it's, it was great. I it was a fantastic show. They certainly deserved all the awards they got for sure. It's, it's definitely a very, very quotable show for sure. I mean, and those it's are my those, favorite. But... I'm gonna have to check it out. Oh, it's so I good. I'm telling you. I've like you Alicia, did. have you watched it yet? Alicia, have you watched it yet? I need somebody to talk to about this at work. Come on. Uh, well, you you can call me or zoom me anytime if you wanna if you want to talk about Shits Creek. I'm I'm here for okay. you, Andrea. Anytime anyone awesome. needs to discuss television, you know, that's usually in my wheelhouse and I'm I'm ready to go. Well, Megan, I am um, going to put you on my bat phone so I can contact <laughs> you. And then my other like guilty pleasure is Bravo TV. I like some low deck series. I must not say, but I must say, I guess. <laughs> I think that's a lot of people's uh, guilty pleasures. Yeah. So <laughs> there's something about those those Bravo shows that just get you. They do. They do. Well, thank you guys so much for coming in the podcast today. I appreciate it. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. And, you know, I hope that we've got some better days and nights ahead for, for you guys and for, for the industry. Hopefully we can all get a little caught up and get a little sleep soon. Well, thanks yes. for having well, us, thank, Megan. Yes, thank you so much.
Spa Retailer Podcast is a production of Spa Retailer Magazine. Let us know what you think by leaving a review or emailing us at podcast at spa Thanks for listening.